0: Well good morning. hope everyone is having just an absolute uh, wonderful uh, week. I know we have uh, certainly enjoyed the, the time that the Lord has blessed us this week to to do things such as be with our family and, and be gathered together with uh, mom and dad and, and various members of, of my father's side of the family. But uh, as much as I enjoy that and we we really do I, I really enjoy being gathered back together with my spiritual family with each one of you uh, and and to be close to one another and I'm just so oftentimes reminded and, and to, to your praise the the closeness that we have uh, and really to God's praise that he um, that, that his presence is seen through the, the relationships that we have here uh, as, as those who visit with us and even those who have uh, recently joined in, in membership with us, have, have spoken uh, so much of the, the warmth and the welcoming that we feel uh, and that they feel when they're with us. And so I, I just wanted to thank you this morning for, for the encouragement that I receive from being with each and every one of you. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of Hebrews, we'll be reading uh, in just a, a short while from there, Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> And if you remember last Sunday afternoon, we, we began speaking about a topic that, that we're going to be looking at a little bit more in depth uh, as, as we continue along. We started looking at this idea that, that Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 when he leaves the reader at the end of his letter with this, uh, with this admonition to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and we've looked at that, and what does that mean to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And we noticed at the beginning of that letter, we saw that it involved developing something within our own lives. To grow in His knowledge meant to grow within our own life. And we were to develop these eight Christ-like graces. Each one of them um, was dependent upon the other, was to grow or to add onto the other. They were to be done in, in conjunction with one another, and they were to be something that we were to give a great deal of diligence to. It wasn't something that we just hoped one day we would maybe we would maybe start to look like or to develop these. It was something that we were to diligently set ourselves out to create in our lives, and in doing so, to create a, harmon- a harmony. Excuse me, a harmony that's best exemplified in the person Jesus Christ. Now, we observe five reasons Sunday afternoon why, why we ought to do this, why we ought to grow in the knowledge of Christ. One of those was that grace and peace would be multiplied to us, that all things pertaining to spiritual uh, life and to godliness would be provided to us as we grew in that knowledge, that the, the problem of, of spiritual short-sightedness or amnesia would, would be avoided and we would never stumble. And again, we pointed out that that was not we would never sin but that yet we could live a life so that we would never lose our hope of salvation and then we would receive an abundant entrance we would receive an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our lord certainly certainly these reasons are sufficient enough to motivate us to want to develop christ-like character in ourselves But this morning I wanted to take a step closer. And I wanted to look at the first of these eight graces that is talked about, and that is faith. And see how it is the foundation of our spiritual development. And to understand what it is uh, that all the other graces are to be added to. First one in that list, speaking of faith. And so what we want to see is how that we are to build a Christ like uh, character. We are to build our Christ-like character on faith. But one might ask the question, we might be curious, what is faith? The definition of faith comes from a Greek word that we probably have heard before, even though we don't use it very often. The Greek word is pistis. Vine says it is a firm persuasion or a firm conviction based upon hearing, thayer, defines it as a conviction of the truth of anything or the belief of the truth of anything. And today we're going to look at the two primarily, primary ways that it is used in the New Testament. There's two ways that it is primarily used. One of these ways is that it is used subjectively. Faith is used to describe our faith in God. The conviction that God exists. The conviction that God is the creator and the ruler of all things and the provider or the, the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, this is how faith is used. Saying, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Going on to describe, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. So in that sense, faith is subjective. It is subjectively used to describe our faith in God. But also it's used to describe subjectively our faith in Christ. The conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. And that through Him we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. If you see over in Galatians chapter 2, you can mark yourself here in Hebrews for a moment. We'll be back to that. But in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 16, <clears throat> we read, we, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So again, in in Galatians 2, and Hebrews 11, we see the word faith, the word pistis used, in a very subjective manner, describing our faith in something else, in God and in Christ. But we also see that it is used objectively as well. As in what is the object of our faith, the substance of Christian faith, or the substance of what is believed by Christians. If we want to look over to Jude chapter three for just a moment, Jude, excuse me, Jude, verse three. We see it used. We see it used in this sense. Jude three says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting that you Exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handled down to the saints. So for the purpose of our study this morning, we see these two different uses of faith I want to focus on. I want to focus our mind on that subjective faith. The faith that we have. That's what I want to look at this morning in this study. And this is a faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11. So we stay right there in Hebrews chapter 11. Right in the very beginning of this chapter, verse 1, the first part of verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is faith? It is the, fa- the substance of things hoped for. The New American Standard says it is the assurance of things hoped for. and The NIV reads that it is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being confident. Confident that God will give us what is promised, or give us for what we hope for. We see an example of this in Hebrews 11 and verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Hebrews 11 verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, so oftentimes we use faith, we use uh, a hope, and we use it, we can basically switch the word out with the word wish. I was recently, we, we, we had the opportunity to, to to be at, at, at camp with, the, with all these young children. And we were talking about the difference between wishing and hoping for something. And, and when, when uh, they asked Ryder the difference between it, he said, I wish... And I don't even, I'm a bad father. I should remember what it was he wished for. It was some sort of toy. It was uh, something to do with Star Wars. I wish I would get this toy. And, And a lot of times, we treat things that we should have faith in. We should have a true hope, a confidence in, as a wish. You know, there was doubt in his mind as to whether or not he was going to get that toy. If I can't even remember what it is, that doubt was probably pretty foundly based. But... There is a difference between wishing and hoping. There's a difference between doubt and confidence. And our faith needs to have hope. It needs to be confident, just as Abraham was confident. And he went, even not knowing where he was going. We don't see a whole lot of doubt in that statement. But not only is faith the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. And again, the New American Standard reads the conviction of things not seen. And the NIV says the certainty, or, or being certain of what we do not see. Faith is having trust, faith is having confidence in things that the human eye cannot perceive. And again, we look to Abraham, down in verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Faith is that confidence or that trust in God and in Christ regarding things promised or things not seen. That's what faith is. But what is faith? not faith is not credulity credulity means believing something on on absolutely no base whatsoever we might use another word there gullibility faith is not blind faith is not believing something for no good reason and that's a misconception that many have about faith That faith is believing in something without evidence. Sometimes we might hear people say, you just have to have faith. And that's a phrase that I I understand. I understand why people use that phrase, but it's a phrase that we really should stop using. Because it, it lends to this idea that we really don't have any reason to believe. It's just something that we have to have. Faith. Instead of telling people you just have to have faith, how much better would it be if we would provide reasons for our faith? Maybe one reason that we just say statements like that is because we don't really know why we believe what we believe. So maybe if we would spend more time learning that and then telling other people why we believe, instead of saying you just have to believe it, we could say, this is why I believe it. This is why I am confident in my belief. As we're going to see later, faith, while it is trusting in things that aren't seen, and faith, while it is conviction regarding things hoped for, it is a trust and it is a confidence that is based upon strong evidences. And so maybe when we start thinking about that and start thinking of these really strong evidences, maybe we're posed to ask this next question. Is faith really that important? If there's these strong evidences, then why do we have to have faith? To answer that, we need to consider that faith is demanded. It is demanded of us. One of the reasons it is demanded of us is because it is foundational. Without faith, as Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must Believe We must have a conviction that He is. You know, when you think of the word foundation, I think for most of us, we probably think of beginnings. We probably think of supports. When you talk to someone who has spent years in the construction field, um, I, I think they are going to tell you that they think of something else when they think of foundation. When they think of foundations, they think of integrity. They think of... Structures that are willing or that are capable of standing the test of time. Whenever you build a house on a poor foundation or a cracked foundation or on unstable ground, the ability for that house to stand firm, to stand strong throughout the ages, is greatly diminished, if not impossible, because the ground that it is upon is shifting or moving or crumbling underneath it. Faith is is the foundation to which we are to be built upon. And that faith stands here in Hebrews 11.6 that we believe that He is. It is more more than simply saying those words in front of others. It is more than just saying in front of those that are like-minded, I believe that Jesus is real. I believe that God is real. I believe that He is the Creator. I believe He is the King. Foundationally, it has to be a strong conviction that will withstand being around those that don't share that same belief. That think you are ridiculous for believing that. We must be able to still have that strong building block of a strong faith that believes that He is And as Hebrews 10 points out, if we don't have that, God takes absolutely no pleasure in it. And verse 35 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Faith is the underlying element of our salvation and our service to God. And in fact, as we read over in John chapter 1, it is the key to our salvation. It unlocks our salvation. Look over here, John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Here we read, But as many as have received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Our belief, our faith gives us the right, the ability. It's where it all starts at to be able to receive our salvation. And in fact, it should be the motivating force behind our life as we read again in Galatians. The second chapter. In verse 20. Saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Without faith, we can't even get started in our relationship with God. And so, yes, faith is, is important. And it's demanded. But not only because it's foundational. It's also demanded because it's powerful. There is a power that is available to us. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about. A power that is available to us if we believe. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 18-20 through says, In the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Not only... Not only if we have a, a strong faith in God are we going to believe that He is, but we will believe that He has this unimaginable power. A power that, is, uh, that as we uh, read in uh, Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, is, is so far beyond anything that we are able to think. What it took to be able to, to create the universe, to be able to create the mountains and the waters and this human body, and that doesn't even begin to describe the amount of power that God has and makes available to those who believe. In 1 John chapter 5, we see the use of this power. 1 John chapter 5 verses 4 through 5 says for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Faith unlocks God's power that he gives to us to be able to overcome, to be able to walk through this world, and to be able to follow in his footsteps. And it's a power that we should be very careful when it comes to limiting. Look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through five says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors... Headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. We see the danger that comes from denying the power of God which we receive through our faith in this long list of things that describe those who will live in the last days. Growth requires power. Growth requires Requires foundation, both of which are built and are received through faith. Can we begin to appreciate now? Can we begin to appreciate why Peter starts with faith with faith when he lists these 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 eight graces that we need to grow in the knowledge? Why it has to begin with faith? It is the very foundation upon which we build a close relationship with God and with Christ. But if we are to ask these questions, we must ask another question. If we are to understand that faith is is so important, we must understand how do I I get faith? How do I develop faith? As we said before, in developing our faith, we must remember faith is not credulity. It's not blind. It is not without evidence. And so in developing our faith, we would do well to remember passages like Romans 10 and verse 17. This says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. In fact, if we turn over to John for just a moment. John chapter 20. John 20 verses 30 and 31. We read a little bit about the word of God and what its intention is. It says in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. God's Word is written to give and to increase in us faith, to produce faith. And we have so much that we can, that we can look to and, and so much evidence to build that upon. But besides the testimony that we have in regarding the miracles of Jesus, these four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four different eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did in his life that have so much harmony that, that can be laid right upon one another and we can see that, that they, they are true and that they, that they agree with one another besides just the testimony that we have of the miracles of Jesus, we also have things such as the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, there's a really amazing statistic. When when, when people sat down and they said, how likely would it have been for for Christ to be able to fulfill these prophecies in the Old Testament? And so they, they started working up the numbers of what that statistic would be, and they found... That if you were to take a 50-cent a piece and you were to lay a single 50-cent piece down in every square inch of the state of Texas, completely covering the state of Texas, and then upon one of these 50-cent pieces, you make a red mark. And then you take a blind man and you say you can walk in any direction as long as you want, but when you stop, I want you to bend down and I want you to pick up that red 50-cent piece. The chances of him being able to do that are equal to the chances of Jesus being able to fulfill eight. Eight of the prophecies that he fulfilled. And Jesus fulfilled over 300. The evidences that we have, scientific foreknowledge, when when the rest of the world was, was first learning about the water cycle and how the rain that we receive today <clears throat> the rain that we receive today very likely evaporated from the, the lakes and the streams and the seas and the oceans yesterday or the day and days before. The Bible already talked about this. When the world was d- discovering that we don't live on a flat uh, surface but on a on a spherical surface, the Bible talked about this. When doctors were realizing that on the eighth day is the best day to do a circumcision, for, for, for boys, because of the levels in the blood that make it most likely to avoid infection and to stop blood flow, the Bible already had talked about this. The Bible contains a very high moral standard. It contains great continuity written by, by over <coughs> excuse me, 40 different authors in three different languages over a span of 1,600 years. We don't have blind faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 tells us we do walk by faith and not by sight. But it is not without evidence. And since faith or, or trust or confidence, since that comes through the Word of God, we must be diligent. If we want to develop our faith, we must be diligent in reading the Bible. Because only then, only in that manner can our faith truly become stronger. So we ask ourselves, do we appreciate Do we appreciate the value that God's word has in producing faith that pleases Him? But it's not enough just to develop our faith. We also must maintain our faith. Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 uh, through 14 talks about guarding against the sin of unbelief. Again, saying, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Many people lose their faith, especially when they are young. We see we see this problem that is... is a growing trend uh, in the world over, but especially in America, of, of youth that have been raised up and that have, that have seen the power of God, working in, in, in those lives around them, and, and they have, have seen and studied and maybe even, maybe even followed the Lord, and yet they lose their faith as they grow, and, uh, as they grow up, but not just with the young uh, at age. The young in Christ, no matter what age it is that we come to Christ, when we are in our youth, as we grow, we have seen many people who lose their faith. Faith must be maintained. And it's maintained through a constant reading or through a constant hearing of the Word. So we can also maintain our faith through not just just the time that we spend alone in God's Word, but through the time that we spend together in God's Word. That helps us more to understand passages like Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 when we talk about not forsaking the assemblies. Not forsaking the assembling excuse me, of ourselves together. Not just so we can put a mark down on, on a, uh, an attendance list, but so that we can stir up one another to greater love, so we can increase the faith of one another and we can increase the faith of ourselves. I also want to point out that Paul Paul gave a threefold directive to Timothy in 1 Timothy and it was guarded or it was surrounding the idea of maintaining faith look in 1 Timothy chapter 6 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verses 9 through 12 Paul writes but those who desire to be rich Fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What's the first thing that Paul warns Timothy about when it comes, <clears throat> when it comes to, to avoiding the, these pitfalls and these snares? He says right off the bat, flee materialism. Flee an undue concern for things of this world. Flee these things that undermine your faith. There in verse 10, it talks about the danger of the love of money. You could even just substitute in there the danger of the love of stuff. The love of, of, of having, of getting, of, of wanting more. You know, if, if science... If scientists were to come out today and say we have, discovered, we have discovered this hypothetical germ that causes all the diseases of the world, no matter what it is, whether it be, be uh, AIDS to, to cancer to, to dementia, no matter what it is, we've found a, a germ that causes it all. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Flee from it. Be as far away. How many of us would would be looking for opportunities to go and to immerse ourselves or to to create a situation where that germ could incubate within us? We would look at that and we we would run. If we knew of countries where this was germ existed, we would say, I don't want to go there. If we, if we knew of a vaccine that presented it, we would say, I want that vaccine. I'm going to go the opposite direction and make sure that I cannot be contaminated with this. <coughs> you really stop and think about what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying there, there is a root to all kinds of evil and it is found in materialism and having a love of money, of stuff. He says, don't do that. And uh, don't just flee from that. Don't just run away from it. Run away from it fast and run towards something greater. He says to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Again, to pursue faith, we do so by feeding upon and being fed by God's Word. But notice what he says at the end of this passage. He doesn't seem to make this out as if it's something that's just a walk in the park. It's just something that's a stroll. He says, fight the good fight of faith. He says, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Back and over in Jude 3, we read that earlier. Contend earnestly for the faith. It is a fight. But it is a fight worth fighting. You know, that's, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. They, they lost their faith. <clears throat> they had been given this promise that God was going to take them into the land of Canaan, was going to give them the land of Canaan. He had taken them out of Egyptian bondage, taken them through the wilderness crossed the Red Sea, I mean, all these amazing things had happened and had built a faith in them, but they lost their faith. They lost their faith when, they were, when, when, when the problem, when the trials were in front of them. And they went into this land and saw the giants and saw the, the, what they would be up against, the opposition to their faith, and they lost it. Are we in danger of losing our faith during our journey? Finally, I have one more question that I would like to... Or, or, excuse me, one more thought that I would like to uh, uh, talk about in, in the way that faith in God manifests itself today. And that is, how do we display our faith? How do we display? Obviously, the first way we think about it is typically through obedience. Through, through obedience to the gospel. The gospel of Christ requires obedience. <clears throat> Jesus is the author in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Something that we, we take so much comfort in. But notice it says, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. The gospel of Paul in Romans chapter one and verse five, <clears throat> the gospel Paul preached was one that led to obedience. Said through Him we received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. The book of Romans is really bookended with obedience. In Romans sixteen. Verses 25 and 26 says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. <clears throat> Paul's gospel, The gospel that Paul preached... God's word is intended to create obedience in those that, that hear, an obedience to the faith. In fact, 2 Thessalonians reminds us that there is a fearful consequence. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 7 through 9 says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. <coughs> How does one obey the gospel? Maybe that's the question we're asking. The gospel is supposed to produce obedience in us. How does one obey a a historic record? That's what the gospel is. It's a historic record of the life of Christ. How does one obey a historic record? By obeying the teachings that are found within that record. Within God's Word, we find commands. Mark 16, verse 16, commands us to believe in Jesus. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But for him who doesn't believe, he is condemned. Belief in Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is who He claimed to be, is commanded if we are to be obedient to the Gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 commands repentance. saying I mean, there was a time when God winked, when God turned he uh, <coughs> turned his head to, to the ways of man, but he doesn't anymore. Today God demands, He commands repentance. He commands us to turn our hearts and our minds away from the world and to focus on Him. Romans 10, verse 10. We read again that we are commanded. Commanded to confess Jesus. Saying, with the heart one believes and is justified, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We are to believe, we are to repent, we are to confess, and not just to confess one time in front of a group of of, of like-minded people. Our lives should be confessions. We are also to be baptized. Acts 2 verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, baptism now doth Save us. Have you displayed faith by obeying from the heart the doctrine presented in the gospel of Christ, in the record of Christ and of his apostles? <clears throat> if you have not, just a moment, you will have the opportunity to do so. There's water here. And there are people here who want to help you in this walk. I encourage you to be thinking about these things, but also be thinking that it's not just through obedience. It's not just through this initial obedience. It's also through living for Jesus. Just as a confession, is not just something you say in front of a group of people, but it's the life that you live that confesses each and every day that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. We have to be trusting in his words. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When he tells us to seek him first and he will take care of us. Not that he will give us everything we want, but he will take care of us and give us what we need. Do we trust in that? Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 and verse 46. Do we trust what Jesus says? When he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Do we trust his words? More so than just proclaiming that He is is our our God, but not living as if He is our God? Do we trust Him enough to follow Him? Matthew 28 and verse 20. That is what we are to teach those who would be disciples, those who would be Christians. That's what we are to learn ourselves, that we are to observe all that He commanded That means two things. One, He has commanded stuff of us. There is a law of Christ that must be followed. And two, He expects it to be followed. Not only do we trust in His words, do we trust in His promises. Look over in John 14. John 14, verses 1 and 2 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And that He desires... For us to have a home in heaven, so much so that he has went to prepare a place for you. Do you believe that? What about verse 3? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe that he will return one day? And that he is coming back for us very easy to nod our heads yes. It's very easy to say amen. What do our lives, what do our lives proclaim? Do we believe? Do we have faith? Do we hope and expect that Jesus has gone to prepare a place and he's coming back to get us? Because that's That's where we want to be. We expect it because we want to be where he is also. Are we setting an example of one who walks by faith in Jesus? One who walks not just by what they can see with their own eyes or what they can do with their own strength. This morning I've talked about a very simple concept of faith. It's one that that really I believe we we do all understand. It It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to understand that faith and hope, to understand what they are. But while it is a simple concept, it is also a crucial concept. Because it is simply trusting in God and Jesus. And it's simply regarding things not seen, but yet hoped for. But without faith, as we've read, it is impossible to please God. (coughs) It is impossible to please God, for we must believe that He exists. We must believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And it is impossible to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ for faith is the basis upon which growth is built. I pray that we will allow the evidences of God's Word to produce a faith that trusts and obeys a wonderful Savior who in turn provides exceedingly great and precious promises as we grow in our knowledge. Of Him. This morning, if you have not yet displayed your faith by obediently submitting to Christ and becoming a follower of His, becoming a disciple of His, becoming a child of God, I would ask, what are you waiting for? As I've said, you have a family here that wants to help. You have water here in which you can be baptized. But most importantly, there is a God who loves you and is waiting for you. But He won't wait forever. The only, stopping, the only thing stopping you is yourself. Don't let that stop you anymore. If there's anything that we can do to assist you this morning, I encourage you, please, come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.